Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Anyone ever had a day that changes everything? You ever had one day that changes a whole bunch of stuff? There, there are some days that are every days and there are some days that are one days. There are some days that are every days. Like if I asked you, what did you do last Tuesday? Who could remember what they did last Tuesday? Yeah, hardly any of us. Don't rip, don't nudge anyone and make it awkward like you got a horrible memory. I told you that. Don't do that. But, but there are some days that are every days and there are some days that are one days. I remember the day I got married. Come on, any married people in here? Any wannabe married people in here? Oh, that, okay. That's how we're playing. Just quiet and steady. Okay. Come on, any want to be married people? It's okay to want to be married. It's a good thing. Come, put your hand up. Be proud. Be proud. If you're four people, we got pro. Hand up if you're single. Put your hand up if you're single. Every single person. Air, come on, elbow straight. Every single person. Elbow straight. Keep your hand up if you want to be married. Okay, just take a look around, see what you're working with. See what talent's in the room. If there's a spare seat, you could awkwardly just slip over beside. You could just, everyone happy with the seat that they've chosen? Because if you're not, you can unawkwardly just kind of slip over and change seats. And I remember the day I got married, she finally wore me down. I was like a nimble gazelle running for my life, hunted down by a ferocious lion. My wife's like four foot three, so it's kind of the truth. But there are some days that change. There was a couple that got married yesterday. Trust me, that day changed everything. I remember the first day that I held my child. My first child was 10 weeks early. She was two pounds, 12 ounces. I could take my wedding ring, put it over her foot, up to her knee. I remember holding that ugly thing. Like she was terrible, 10 weeks. Come on, parents, let's be honest. Let's be honest, you ever look back at your child when they're first born and think, how did I think that was cute? Like it's just wet and wrinkly and oh. I remember looking at my first child thinking, God, are you sure you got this right? Do you know who you're entrusting a human life to? Like I forget my lunch almost every day and you're giving me a child? God, what, what are you thinking? Come on, there are some days that change everything. My wife and I had the opportunity to live in America for a few years and I remember one day driving to work and it was just an everyday. It was just a day that I'd got up and I'd done it dozens and dozens of times before and driving to work and I'd eat my breakfast and got the kids ready and d did what I normally do day after day, day after day. But this day felt a little bit different. There was, there was a lot of commotion going on. It was, it was almost like something had tilted in the atmosphere. You ever walk into a room and go, man, there's something going on in this atmosphere. You ever, you ever do that? I remember walking into someone's house for dinner and you know when they've had a fight. Like you can cut the atmosphere with a knife. Well, this is one of those days where you just felt something. There was fire engines and police cars and stuff flying everywhere. And people were actually going to school to pick up their kids to take them home. I don't know what it's like in Adelaide, but it's normally the other way around. In the morning, you'd go to school and drop your kids off and then go. But these were picking kids up. And I I was working at a church that had a daycare attached to it. So I dropped my daughter off in the daycare. And as I walk out, the SWAT team arrive on our premises. I'm like, oh, this is a bit serious. I go to go back in to get my daughter and there is a man with a machine gun saying, you can't come in here, sir. It's lockdown. There's no one in, no one out. 
at that time, the business manager of our church, they want everyone in the staff room. I walked into the staff room. That day happened to be September 11, 2001. I walk into the staff room to see the first of the Twin Towers falling down. The city that we lived in was called Norfolk, Virginia, has the largest naval base in all of the world. So conceivably, it was very real threat that we would have been next. They hit the Twin Towers. They went to the Pentagon. It was a very conceivable uh, idea that they may have hit us next. There was three aircraft carriers in the naval base that we were at. So it was lockdown. No one in, no one out. September 11, 2001 is a day that changed history forever. It changed the day we travel. It changed, changed the way we travel. It changed the way we watch the news. There wouldn't be a week go by without the word terrorist comes up in our news now. It changed the way we view certain parts of the world. It changed whether we will visit certain parts of the world. or not. It changed everything. There is a difference between every day and one day. Then there is the one day that some of us have encountered Jesus Christ that changed everything. The day we realised Jesus was alive and interested in my world changed everything. Is there anyone in Victory Church who has had a one day with Jesus Christ and it's changed the course of your life? Maybe you're sitting in church this morning and you've never had a one day with Jesus. Maybe you've never had a moment. Maybe you may have been in church for 10 years. It maybe your first day in church. Regardless of how long you've been in church, if you've never had a one day, a day that changed everything for your future, today could be your day. Today could be the day where Jesus invades your world and changes the rest of your life. Because a person with a one day experience is never at the mercy of a person with an argument. It's like the little boy who was in school. He was in biology class and the teacher was talking about whales and one little child put their hand up and said, Miss, I'm scared of whales. And the teacher said, well, Johnny, you don't need to be scared of whales because although a whale is really big, its throat's so small, it can never swallow a human being. So you don't need to be scared of whales. And then Johnny puts his hand up and says, yeah, but miss, I was in Sunday school and they had a story about Jonah and the whale and Jonah got swallowed by a whale and lived in the belly of the whale for three days. And miss, I, I, I think a, a whale can swallow a human being. And then the teacher said, no, it's physically impossible. Johnny, it can't, the, the throat's too small. It just can't happen. And Johnny said, well, when I get to heaven, I'm gonna ask Jonah if that was a true story. The teacher said, what if Jonah didn't go to heaven and went to hell? And Johnny said, well, you can ask him. A person with a one day is never at the mercy of someone with an argument. You can have a one day that can change your life. There is a one day that goes beyond ideology, beyond philosophy, beyond a good idea, beyond a code of ethics. There is a one day that shifts something on the inside for generations to come. Anyone thank God that Tony's dad had a one day in 73 that shifted stuff for generations to come. Is it possible that today there could be a one day in your world that would shift for generations to come? You know, there is story after story in the Bible that begins with the word one day. And then after that, there is an epic story that follows. You know, the, the story of the leper that was healed begins with one day. The story of the child that was brought back to life begins with one day. The story when Jesus was asleep in the boat and the storm came up and the disciples accused Him of not caring begins with one day day when Jesus spoke to the storm and calmed it. And then I began to think if my story was in the Bible, I'd want it to begin with one day. 
Because I want my story to be an epic story. Why? Because I'm great? No, because the God I serve is great. And I want people to see my story and it points towards a God of grace and love and mercy. And then I thought, you know what? Every story in the Bible, whether it says it or not, begins on one day. And I wonder if God wants to create a one day in your world that there is a one day experience with God that changes everything. There are so many stories in the Bible that talk about this moment, this encounter. And we don't live from encounter to encounter, we live a lifestyle, but there are moments that shift stuff. There are moments that shift the story of our life. There are moments that shift our heart. There are moments where our future takes on a different trajectory because of a one day experience. You know, yesterday is gone. Today isn't, uh, tomorrow isn't promised. Today is all we have. God, would you use my today to make a shift in my world? Not a pimp your ride type of shift. Come on, anyone ever watch that show, Pimp Your Ride? Pimp My Ride? Put your hand, be proud. Put your hand up. Look, these are all the people that are furthest away from Jesus. You don't watch that show. Anyone never watched Pimp My Ride? Come on, who's never watched Pimp My Ride? Let me explain it to you for those of you who are holy and unblemished by the Pimp My Ride culture. So Pimp My Ride is a show on MTV where if you've got the worst car on the street, you, you ride in to a modern day poet named Exhibit and you say, hey, can you, can you, it's like the Psalmist David nearly. He said, can you, can you pimp my ride? It says, hey, because these cars, they're terrible. Cars that you need screwdrivers to start and get into. Cars where the, the interior, the front seat is like a milk crate and the doors you have to climb in through the window and the, the steering wheel comes on and off. The, 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 the outside, some panels are missing or scratched or dinged or bullet holes in them. And, and then you ride into MTV and you say, please MTV, won't you? Oh, look at all the non-Christian people. So you write in, you say, please MTV. And then one day you're just sitting at home with a microphone on and exhibit turns up and you answer the front door with a microphone on because everyone sits there watching Nickelodeon with a microphone on. And then exhibit says, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. How many shows have you people watched? I just read about it. How many have you watched? So anyway, so exhibit comes and goes and then he says, hey, come out and show me your car and this this person shows me everything that's wrong with the car, like the interior and the paint job and the wheels and the stereo and the, everything that's wrong with it. And so he takes it to a place called West Coast Customs, if I remember rightly from the book I read, goes to West Coast Customs. And then for a week, the car sits at West Coast Customs and they, they put a paint job on it that's worth more than your house. They put more TVs than's in the kids' area in the car. They put leather leopard seats in it because Chris Guglielmucci wants to drive it. They, they, they put an ice machine in there and an ice cream machine and an Xbox and a big TV. They do this whole thing. The problem is 22-inch rims on a Mini. The problem is they do nothing with the part that really matters. They do nothing with the engine, nothing with the drivetrain, nothing with the brakes, nothing with the gearbox. So all that happens is you break down as often. You just look good broken down on the side of the road now. 
Can I tell you that when God comes in and there's a one day, it's not about an exterior change. Jesus doesn't want you to come to church and throw a hand in the air and be in the right place so you look good. He wants to get a hold of the inside to make a difference. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. By their fruit, you will know them. He wants to get a hold of the inside. This will take care of itself if we say, Jesus, let me have a one day that changes my inside. Let me give you two one day revelations that I try and live with every day. Two one day revelations. Number one, my every day could become somebody's one day. My every day, the the days that I get up and feel very normal, which is about 99.9% of the time. The days that I get up and just have to do what I'm doing in life where I have to go to work and get the kids ready and clean the wheat bix off the clean dress that I've just put them in. And the days where I just have to do life normally is just an everyday. My everyday could become somebody's one day. There's a guy on our staff, his name is Mike Tautalanoa. He is a Tongan guy. He's a builder. He oversees our South facility. Our South facility is about 15 acres, has a whole bunch of stuff going on. So it's a pretty full-on role. And Mike has the amazing ability to gather volunteers and to gather people to do stuff on the site. And he's even cracked into his uh, old place of work and started to get people who don't come to church to volunteer their time to come and do some stuff on site. So he every week, you hear that part? <coughs> every week, it's puberty, it's terrible. Every week, every week you go out there and there is unsaved people working on that site. Mike is in a evangelist disguised as a builder. Can I give you a hint? But so many people, God, what have you called me to do? What's my calling in life? Let me, let me help you. Everyone's calling is the same. It's to win people to Christ. Our vehicles may be different. I may use business or sport or school or being a mum. Our vehicles may be different, but everyone's calling is the same. So Mike has a hold of this. One day he's standing at the grocery store getting groceries and he turns around and behind him, there is this very obviously distressed guy. He's disheveled and he's out of sorts and looks homeless and is unkept and hair everywhere and smells. And so Mike turns around and keeps going. This guy keeps asking people for money and Mike has that twinge on the inside. Everyone, anyone know that twinge where you go, you know what, I need to do something here. Some of us are going to get that twinge later on when I'm going to ask whether you want to start a relationship with Jesus. You're going to feel something on the inside go twinge. That's, that's God speaking to you. So Mike turns around and says, hey, uh, how can I help you? And the guy says, can you give me money? Mike says, hey, I, I work on a construction site. Never told him it was a church. I work on a construction site. If you turn up on Monday morning and do a full day's work, I'll buy you dinner on the way home. And every day that you turn up and volunteer on my construction site, I'll buy you dinner on the way home. So Monday morning when he told the guy to turn up at 8, 10 o'clock he turns up with a hangover and smoking a joint walking up the driveway literally, says, I'm here to work. Joe couldn't do anything. You wouldn't trust him to rake the leaves on the first few days. But at the end of Monday, Mike took him by Burger King and bought him a Whopper meal and then dropped him off at the bridge so he could sleep up under the bridge. And Tuesday, the same thing happened. Wednesday, the same thing happened. This went on for three weeks. One Sunday, I happened to be out, of our, out at our South Campus speaking. I look up and there's Mike with a security badge on. He's on our sec- there's Joe, sorry, with a security badge on, on our security team. Now, if you go to our South Campus on any given Sunday, you'll see Joe sitting in that seat right there on the front row, worshiping God, clean dressed, 
living at Mike's house, renting one of Mike's rooms. Why? Because Mike said, God, would you use my everyday? I'm just going to the grocery store. I'm not taking someone to a Benny Hinn crusade and I'm not taking someone to a Billy Graham crusade. God, would you use my going to the grocery store? I love Benny Hinn and I love Billy Graham and let's get as many people there. But God doesn't just work in church. God works outside of church. Would you use my everyday to be somebody's one day? Luke chapter five, verse 17 to 20 says this. One day, Jesus was teaching and there were some Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea, from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present for Jesus to perform healing. And some men were carrying on a bed a man who was paralyzed and they were trying to bring him and set him down in front of Jesus. But not finding a way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down through the tiles with his stretcher in the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, he said, your sins are forgiven. So Jesus is in a room and a broken, desperate person is lowered down in front of him. Anyone know any broken, desperate people? A broken, desperate person is lowered down in front of him. And Jesus says, because of your faith, he's healed. Yeah, but where was his faith for healing? No, no, no. Jesus, who is full of grace and full of mercy and Religious people will tell you, unless you've got the faith to believe, nothing can happen. Unless you've got the faith to push through, nothing happened. But Jesus said, because of your faith, He is healed. Our world is full of broken people to the point where they can't believe for themselves and are looking for a church of people who says, you not, might not be able to believe, but I can. Lean on my faith. Lean on me. I'll believe for you. I wonder if in the coming weeks and months, Jesus could say, because of your your faith, they are healed. Because of your faith, their world is different. That we would lay people at the feet of Jesus. Yeah, but he should have enough faith for himself. Yeah, he should. And maybe he's on a journey. Question for you, Mr. Religious. How much faith did Lazarus have? Answer, none. He was dead. Jesus used the faith of someone else. And that person got a miracle. My one day, my every day can become somebody's one day. You know what our generation is looking for? Our generation is looking for a bunch of Christians who'll say, God, I've got a normal life. I've got an average life. There's nothing special about me, but would you use my every day to be someone else's one day? When I go to school, when I go to work, when I go to my neighborhood, when I drop my kids off, God, would you use my every day to be somebody's one day? God, I'm a part of Victory Church and this is no longer dependent on two superstars who are God's gift to us. They'd hate me because them superstars, but they're amazing. They're a God's gift to us doing everything, but there is a community of people saying, God, would we collectively use our one every days to be someone else's one days? God, would you use hundred or a couple of thousand people's one every days to be someone else's one days? Tony and Kath live a life that paves the way and we can just slip on behind and say, God, would you use my every day? If I could just get them to Sunday, Tony will get them saved. There's a high probability. Reality is, Tony doesn't work at your work. 
Kath doesn't drop her kids off at your school. They don't shop at your grocery store. They don't live in your neighbourhood. What Victory Church needs is a community of people saying, I'm gonna play my part. I'm gonna get a hold of my piece and say, God, would you use my everyday to be someone else's one day? A few months ago, I was on a plane between Melbourne and Auckland. I do it every three or four weeks, go out to Melbourne to our Melbourne campus, speak there on a Sunday and come home. This was a flight like any other day. I get on the plane, sit down, turn around to the lady behind me, said, hey, how you doing? Yep, good. My name's Christy. Good, Christy. My name's Scott. Didn't speak another word the whole flight. As we land, I hear this ugly cry coming from behind me. You know the ugly cry? The cry where you can't talk, you can't breathe, there is snot coming out every hole in your head. The ugly. <laughs> I, I turn around and Christy, is, she's got the ugly cry going on. Like it is bad. I said, hey, can I help you? She can't even talk. <laughs> I'm in row like 57. I said, hey, can I get you some water and I can, get, can I get you some tissues? She goes, <gasps> all she can get was a nod out. Hey, what's with those people? When as soon as the plane ends, they're up. They're elbowing people to get their stuff out of the overhead bins. They're knocking old ladies over. They lose all sense of Christianity and grace. They are just battling people so they can stand there for six minutes instead of seating for six minutes. Because you know it's a good six minutes before they get off. They're just... They're not like Jesus at all. So I said to her, can I get you some water and some tissues? And she, <laughs> and she said, yes. And so I'm like, right, I'm on a mission. I now have the permission from heaven to walk down that aisle and knock anyone out who is standing up and won't let me through. So I charge down. I say to the hostess, I said, can I get some water and tissues? Yep, here's your water and tissues. I get back. She still can't talk. I said, hey, I just want you to know that I'm a part of a church here in the city and you've obviously got some stuff going on. If there's anything I or we can do for you, then here's my cell phone number and here's my email address. <laughs> That's the last I saw of her. Can I tell you that it's not a Christian's deal, to, it's not a Christian's role to close the deal on every conversation. Just be a link in the chain. Just be a link in the chain. Four days later, I get this email from Christy. Dear Scott, I wanted to write to you and say thank you. Last Friday, we were on the plane together from Melbourne to Auckland. I was flying to see my sister who had been battling cancer for three months. When we had landed, I'd received a text saying she had passed away. I didn't know what to do. I felt like my world had been shattered into a million pieces. Then you appeared to offer help. You were an angel. I underline that all the time and send it to my wife. What's it like to be married to an angel, babe? You were an angel sent from heaven. I haven't been in a church since I was five years old. And if the offer still stands, I'd like to come and see your church in Melbourne once I get back. Could you let me know where and what time the services are? I was doing what I did every other time but I was living with one ear inclined to heaven. 
I wish I could say that's my lifestyle, but I'm working on it. Saying, God, would you use my everyday to be someone else's one day? Would you use my everyday to make a difference in someone else's world? God wants to take your normal, ordinary life and you to place it in His hands and to change Adelaide because of you saying, God, use my everyday. How does that happen? You just gotta pick up your rope. The Bible says that four men picked up their rope and carried their friend to Jesus. So many of us spend too much time praying about what's on the end of the rope. God, would you give me a platform? God, would you give me a business? God, would you give me opportunity? God, would you give my name in like God? Would you make it? And God just says, just carry your rope. What's on the end of the rope is God's problem. Who's holding the rope is my problem. I'm gonna walk through life holding my rope. God, if you wanna put anyone on the end of my rope, I'm gonna use my everyday to set people at your feet so that Jesus, you can invade their world. Use my everyday for someone else's one day. Revelation 1, God, would you use my everyday to be someone else's one day? You know, in the Old Testament, it was a farming existence. And they used to farm fields. And the Bible says, that one of the things that, that was the custom of the day is they had to leave room on the edges for the poor to pick their food. Here's my question. In our 21st century living, do we have room on the edges to feed the poor in our lives? Is our schedule so full that if someone wanted to come and eat from us, we'd have no room? Are our finances so stretched on higher purchases, buying stuff that no one will ever see to impress people who don't care that our finances have no room on the edges to feed the poor? Is our marriage so consumed with us and me? Young people, is my world so consumed with me and I and what I want and where I'm going that there's no room on the edges for my everyday to become somebody's one day? And I reckon there's a bunch of people in church and today the word of God for you is make some room. Make some room. Pay off some debt. Get your marriage to a place that is of health, not just for you, but for the poor in marriage, in your world, who can come to the edges and eat from it. You know what I love about Tony and Kath? Tony and Kath live a life that says, if there's something in my world that can inspire you, then come and eat from the edges of my life. There's margin in the world so that people can eat. How do I get my everyday to be someone else's one day? Have margin. And God, here I am. Would you use my everyday? to be someone's one day. Revelation number two. One day can change the perspective of my everyday. One day can change the perspective of my everyday. The Christian walk was always supposed to be about walking out life with a heavenly perspective here on earth, not the other way around. The Christian walk was always was never meant to be earth to heaven, but heaven to earth. And many times we try and 
we, get, we find ourselves, I'm guilty of this, trying to get God to see things from my perspective. When God is saying, would you just see things from my perspective? Would you just see your current from where I am? Would you just see your future from where I am? Would you just see from heaven to earth? Jesus said, this is how you pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it's already been done in heaven. Perspective is about how you interpret your current reality. Perspective, can I use your sunglasses, bro? Yep. Like aviators, bro. Are they Ray-Bans? Thanks for the gift, man. Appreciate it. Perspective. Angel. Perspective is about how you interpret your reality. It's the lens through which we view our challenge and our success. Our reality and our future. Perspective is how you view stuff. I want to ask you a question. How did you... Where did your perspective come from? Are you a pessimist or an optimist? I love Tony and Kath Rainbow. Got to be some of the most optimistic people on the planet. Well, I'm just a realist. You know what a realist is? It's a pessimist in disguise. I don't think any of us are in danger of being too real. But do we make the conscious decision to say, God, I'm gonna view this from where you sit. I'm gonna view this from what your word is. I want my perspective to be your perspective. Where did you get your perspective from? Was it past experience? Was it family of origin? Was it the mistakes that you've made? Was it the successes that you've had? Don't tell me about yesterday's success. Tell me what God's doing today. Where did you get your perspective from? There's a great story in the book of Genesis about God changing someone's perspective. It says this, Genesis 12, verse one through three. It says, now the Lord said to Abraham, get out of your country from your family and your father's house to a land I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you and all the families of the earth shall be blessed through you. What a promise. If people are good to you, I'll be good to them. If people are bad to you, I'll be bad to them. I've got a list of people already. And God makes this amazing promise to Abraham. Now, depending on what commentary you read, 10 to 20 years later in chapter 15, we see Abraham in his tent having a chat with God. After all these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision saying, do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield. I am your exceedingly great reward. I am the promise to you. But, God, but Abraham said, Lord God, what will you give me? 
Seeing I go childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus, then Abram said, look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, no one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body will be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, look toward the heavens and count the stars if you are able to number them. And then he said, so shall your descendants be. You imagine Abraham, God says, I am your shield. I am your exceedingly great reward. But Abraham did what so many Christians do because the timing of God is not in my timing. I get despondent and say, God, you didn't, you promised and it hasn't happened. You promised and it hasn't been fulfilled. And God is saying, hey, buddy, I've just given you me. I am your shield. I am your exceedingly great reward. I give you, and Abraham throws a tantrum in his tent saying, yeah, but God, where's my son? How many of us have a promise from God that because of His timing and our timing not aligned, we say, God, I can't see my future. I can't see what you want to do. What about my blessings? God's so amazing in His grace. You got Abram in a tent. Abram's hanging out in his tent and he's saying, Look, God, look at my circumstance. Look at what I haven't got, God. Look, look at what's not going on, God. Look, if I was God, I'd say, look, you little looker. I'm going to give you a look and you'll never look again. But God's gracious. Look, God, my marriage is a mess. Look, God, my finances are a mess. Look, God, the child you promised would be in church with me is out there living a life that I never wished upon them. God, look, I I can't see. God, look. And God in His graciousness says to Abram, come on out of the tent. Come on out of the thing that is blocking your vision and giving you a perspective that is limited and closed in. Come out of your tent and see your future the way I see your future. Change your perspective from that moment on. I'm gonna give you a fresh look and a fresh vision. I wanna change the way you look. Look, God, my son, my daughter, my husband, my wife, look, God. And God's saying, come on out and see things from where I sit. As if God himself was in the tent saying, dang, I never realized it was that bad. God's got it under control. If I can get the keys to come on back. 2011, my mother passed away. She was 56 years old. She was an alcoholic since the time I was 10 that I could first remember. Every birthday, all I would ever ask of her is that she would give up alcohol. What do you want for your birthday? I just want you to be sober, mum. She was a closet alcoholic. She, would, she owned her own businesses and would function during the day and then drink herself to oblivion at night. There were many times between the age of 12 and 18, I would pick her up and put her to bed and clean up her vomit. There's a lot of physical violence in my home between my mother and my father and My mother got what is called alcohol-induced dementia where 
The more you drink, the worse the dementia gets. And if you stop drinking, then the dementia stops degenerating. But she never had the ability to stop drinking. So I left home, I moved to America and five and six nights a week, we'd get phone calls at three in the morning saying, I'm starving to death, don't you care? I've got no food, you've moved away. So I'd call a friend of mine who lived three hours away. I grew up on the South Coast. This friend of mine lived in Sydney. I'd say, hey, is there any chance you'd have some time this week to drive down, see my mum? Here's my credit card. Take her shopping, fill her, sh- her closets up. He'd get down there. Her closets would be full. It'd be nothing more than an, an emotional cry out. One time my friend went down there and she stole everything he had in his car. My f- mum got a hold of my address book. That's how old I am. I had an address book. My mum got a hold of my address book and called everyone in that address book and said, Scott's abandoned me. Can you help me? So I had this turmoil on the inside. God, how can, how can this be? 2011, she passes away and my only prayer was, God, help me get some sort of reconciliation before she dies, some sort of understanding. I just want to have a conversation and say why. I never got the chance. For four months after she died, I'd get up and preach on a Sunday and believe with all my heart everything I was saying, but know the storm that was going on on the inside. So I went to my hero, Pastor Paul. I said, hey, chief, I'll do anything you want, but I don't know if I can preach for the next little while. I, I just got this storm going on on the inside. I need some time off the platform to be able to deal with this. How many thank God for leaders who don't see what you think you need, but see what God thinks you need? He goes, yep, you can have two weeks off, then you're back on. I'm like, you jerk. I didn't say that. I thought it. I said it later. In between those two weeks, I was at Hillsong Conference. My only prayer of all of Hillsong Conference was, God, I need something on this. I've got a mum who I feel like abandoned me and betrayed my trust and did everything that a mum's not supposed to do. Now, my mum was a Christian. I found her diaries after she died, and her diaries were this. Every morning, it was, dear God, today will be different. Today, I'm not going to give in to the sickness that I feel. Today, I'm not going to give in to the temptation. And she would write Scripture out. Then on the same page, there's this childish scribble that would say, God, I'm sorry, I've done it again. Tomorrow will be different. Thank God we live in a day and age where we don't have to hide that stuff, but we can bring it into the light and say, someone help me. So I'm at Hillsong and it's the second to last night. The turmoil is as bad as ever. I'm worshiping God. Tears streaming down my face. Well, I've got something in my eye. Tears streaming down, tears streaming down my face i got my wife there and she doesn't know what to do. You know, sometimes you can't look to a man. Even those closest to you, there's some things that in your one day you've got to get from God. And I stood there, worshiping God. And all of a sudden, it was like the other 18,000 people had left the room. And it was me and Joel Houston worshiping together. And I'm lost in the presence of God. And I get this picture in my mind so clear. Never had it before, never had it since. It was a picture of my mum, healed and whole, at the feet of Jesus, praying for me and my brother 
that we would discover and live all that God had purposed for us to live. In that moment, what I thought I needed was an explanation. What I actually needed was a revelation. I thought I needed an explanation of why. What I needed was a revelation of who, who Jesus is and what he wants to do and where he is. One day can change the perspective of your everyday. One day can change the perspective of how you view the future and how you view what's going in. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au.